Hi. Here we are, huh? Man. It's a It's always exciting to sing together, to worship the Lord together. I uh I really like the first song we sang. It says uh um I believe in life eternal, I believe in the virgin birth, I believe in the saints' communion, and in your holy church. That's what we're here for. We're one body coming back to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he has all authority. I believe he's with his... In fact, the Bible tells us that by one name, everything is made right. By one name, every tribe, tongue, and nation comes together. Spoiler alert, this is where we're going today. That name is Jesus Christ. And so when we come here, maybe you come here and it's not fully on your radar to worship Jesus. I'm convinced that we can't really ever span the perfection of what that looks like. If we could, we wouldn't need Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're a 40% person. You're 40% here and you're 60 you're 60% somewhere else, right? Maybe you're 70-30. Maybe you're 80-20. Maybe you're 100% here because you are super righteous and holy because just you're so filled. Right? I don't know. But here we are. We're here together. And no matter where you find yourself, we look to Jesus together. We do that through singing songs, hymns, spiritual songs together, as the Bible tells us. We do that through teaching the Bible, teaching truth in love, speaking truth in love. If you're new here or if you've been here a thousand times, it's it's important that we remember that because we might fall into this habit of forgetting, of forgetting God, of forgetting why we're here, of letting things just become about us, which turns out is the entire point of every story that we keep reading in Scripture. Um, so we've been going through the whole Bible uh, as a church, except we're, you know, we're on week two, so we're not super far, but we've, we've been pretty far. How's that going for you guys? Been reading through, yeah, okay. Yeah, here, here's, you're going to hear me say this sort of thing a lot because I'm super emotional, communal, everyone together, one body, one faith, uh, you know, uh, which is good. I'm, I'm way far on that side. Um, Adam might be much more just blunt, like, come on, let's go. But because he's so just, man, look at him. He's angry. No, I'm just kidding. But listen, you're going to hear me say this a lot through the year. Now is going to be your first time, but here it comes. If you're behind, or if you never started, or if you're just like, I can't do that. What a stupid assignment. I'm not reading the whole Bible. I can barely read whatever, my shoe size, whatever it is. Like, that's accidentally offensive maybe. But like, wherever you're at on that, right, just jump in. Like, I don't care if you're behind. Like, we're in Job. We're like, what, a third of the way through Job? And you're like, ah, I've missed Genesis 1 through 11. I can't possibly read that much in the whole year. That's like 11 chapters of the Bible. Forget about it, right? There's Bible project videos. Every week, we're going to kind of be spanning where we're going. We can condense it down pretty quickly to get you caught up. If you're really like a type A person, you're like, I've got to read everything. That's fine. But jump in. Because the point of this is that we're seeing the whole scripture as one unified story that points to King Jesus as we understand why we worship him. Let's not be the people that gather and don't know his word. Jesus said, this, uh, this is eternal life, that they know God and the one whom he sent. Do you know Jesus? Jesus said, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. John six sixty three. Do you know his words? Right? Do you know his commandments? These are things, that's why we're reading this together. So wherever you're at, right? Maybe you haven't started at all. Maybe you're ahead and you're better than all of us. Good for you. Just dive in, man. Dive in. You'll see every uh, Sunday us post where we're at, and we're going to be talking about it. So far, we've gone through Genesis 1 through 11, and then we're also, uh, um, it's 1 through 11? Yeah. And then we've gone through several parts of Job. You can watch some videos and catch up, or just dive in, and we'll be doing that. Uh, this morning, I encourage you to grab a Bible, right? We're gonna, I'm going to be spanning through the story so far. We can't do that every Sunday, because we're going to get so far into it that we can't teach everything that's happened. But I'm going to give a quick overview, because I want us to see a, a major point here. There are several themes all throughout Genesis that kind of help mark how you read the rest of Scripture. It was, it was uh, uh, orchestrated that way intentionally by God, right? So that you could see how you should read his Scripture, how you should make sense of it. We don't have time to talk about uh, uh, the, the tree of life, right? And all the ways this comes in, in the coolness of the tree of life and how it's in Genesis and in Revelation. Jesus died on a tree and, and the, the root, the seed of David. and all. We don't have time to talk about all those uh, themes. We don't have time to talk about the theme of water every time and the cleansing some of these things we're going to miss out. But the theme that we're going to talk about today, you will see all over Scripture. Because God has an intention for why he created us, why he created the world, and how it's broken, how he's going to fix it. This is the gospel. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. If you could open to Genesis 1, we're going to start, and we're just going to start walking through that. You can uh, use your device if you can avoid that temptation, and we're going to get going. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start getting into it. 
God, we take a moment to slow down, to pause, recognize the value of, of your word, the love you have for us to give us your words. We're thankful for your spirit that illuminates and guides that Jesus is the light. God, I pray that you would guide our hearts and our minds right now. Protect us from distraction. Uh, all the, the biases that we want to bring into your word. God, I pray that you would just help us open-handedly look to what your word says and to look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, to look to Jesus. God, may your spirit guide us right now as we read your word, as we worship you. Amen. So from the beginning, we see God. In the beginning, God, right? And he creates the heavens and the earth. And there's tons of numerology stuff in there. Uh, the first line in the Bible is a Hebrew sentence of seven. Uh, you see God speak ten times. That number ten is going to come up over and over and over. Uh, you see uh, God declare it was good seven times. Like There's a lot of cool things in there. But what we can understand from the beginning, we talked about this last week, God's spirit hovers over the waters. And although it seems like this wet wasteland, crazy, dark place. God's spirit hovers over it, has authority over it, and brings order to chaos. God speaks ten times and creates all good things, right? And so we talked about that. We talked about last week, what is good? How do we know? You want goodness in your life? You want it to be a good year? Look to God, because you can't define good. In fact, that's the whole problem. We're trying to define good and evil ourselves. And that's what happened. God creates us. He breathes his breath into us. It's interesting. We just sang a song about this. Maybe you missed it. But as you start understanding the Bible, worship changes. Because Jesus says, repent. Repent and believe in the gospel. Change how you view things. Repentance is looking at the world differently. You see things differently. When we sing the song, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. It's whose breath? When God created us, what did he do? He breathed into us. When Jesus told his disciples, receive the spirit, what did he do? He breathed on them. What does the word spirit mean? Ruach, pneuma, breath. So awesome. We're singing this song because we're literally declaring the truth of scripture. It's your breath in our lungs through our belief in you. You've empowered us through spirit. You put your breath in us. And so our only option is to pour out our praise to you because all good things, all breath is yours. Do you get that? Are you breathing right now? At night, I look at my kids, and I say, let's just stop, let's take a breath. Partially because bedtime can be a nightmare sometimes, but just pause and say, hey, take a breath. We ask each other what we're thankful for, and we're just quiet and we breathe. Because sometimes kids need to just breathe. Most times David needs to just stop and breathe. And I submit that maybe you do too. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. God creates us in his image, it tells us, right? There's this whole Trinitarian thing, and let us create man in our image. We talked about how Jesus was there from the beginning. The Spirit hovers over the waters. Every time I say that, I do this. Man, Spirit hovers over the waters, um, and then uh, they're all there, and he creates us in our image. And what does he create us for? Well, if we're in his image, then I've told you this a ton, we are creators of good things, good things that point back to God. There's a reason why you care about your work. There's a reason why all of Western society is based off of what you do after after you have freedom. What do you do? That's what you ask. I don't care about what kind of parent you are. I don't care about what do you do? Where are you from? What do you do? What do you do? This is a, a natural when, that's a, ah, when you meet people, it's like you want them to know this is this is what makes me valuable. This is what I do. God created you to create good things. Your doing is an identity for you because God put that in you to point to him. So here's the whole thing, all through scripture, we'll find out. Uh, there's a slide here that'll show some things, but he created all things for his glory. And you can map this in so many different verses. Romans 1 talks about this, uh, several different places, but Isaiah 43, 7, God, when he's talking about bringing all his people together, he says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, who I formed and made. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, when Paul's talking about several tensions and issues in the church, he says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Later on in eternity, we see this uh, picture in Revelation 4, 10, and 11. John sees this vision, uh, this apocalypse, and it says the 24 elders, the human figures in this scene that he's seeing, they fall down before him who is seated on the throne, Jesus. They worship him who lives forever. They cast their crowns, their symbol of power, their symbol of authority, their symbol of having any sort of personal identity. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by you they are existed and were created. God created us for his glory. 
All good things should point to his glory. You want to know if something's good? It should point to the glory of God. You want to know if your life has value or meaning? It should be pointing to the glory of God. So with that in mind, let's start going through. Genesis 3, let's start there. Adam and Eve, God created them. Adam and Eve, their names in Hebrew mean human and life. Adam and life, that's what, Adam and Eve. Right, human life, that's what. He, these are the humans, God created them. Did they follow what God wanted? You're going to say no because we talk about this every Sunday, right? Every Sunday I bring up Genesis 3. But it's important because here's where it all started, right? They decided to rebel against God. Why? What was their temptation? They wanted to be like God. They wanted to know good and evil for themselves. They had an option. They could choose to obey God, trust and obey, right? They could choose to do that and walk with the Lord, right? There's a reason we sing songs, right? They connect, they remind us of what Scripture says. They could walk with the Lord, and they said, no, we want to be like God ourselves. They were already like God. That was the deception. They were like God for God. They wanted to be God themselves for themselves. And so they ate of the fruit. They were punished. Uh, the first thing that happened, here's what's interesting. They noticed that they were naked, Genesis 2, they were naked and ashamed. Genesis 3, eat the fruit, gasps, we're naked. So they go and make clothes for themselves, right? And then what? They hide from God. There's a broken relationship with humanity and a broken relationship with God. Instantly, instantly we see in Scripture, when they decide good from evil, when they gain, when they decide to be like God, instant uh, unsatisfaction, insecurity, all sorts of things could be unpacked there. So they hide from God. God casts them out. He curses them. He sends them out of the garden, and he clothes them, which is interesting, right? He gives them clothes. There's some grace there. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And God says, you know what? Here's some clothes. He goes, we see God interceding, intervening with them, not just casting them out from the beginning. So God sends them out, and he doesn't allow them to eat from what? The tree of life. We don't have time to unpack all of that. But it's interesting, maybe this is another example of God's grace. Maybe it would be terrible for you to live eternally in your destruction, in your sin, in this constant war between God and evil because you rebel and do your own thing. Wouldn't it be terrible if this was all there was? This is it. Look at all of human history. And we knew, hey, God, thank God he's given us eternal life and we just get to eternally live in this junk. Do you want the last five years to be the rest of your life forever, never ending? No. Isn't it interesting that although it might seem really harsh, I'm not going to let them eat from... Nah. Like a good father, he said, no. You don't get to live eternally in this corruption. Not only can you not be with a holy God, there has to be separation there because God is holy, but also... But also, he doesn't want us to live in that eternal corruption. Eternally. So, uh, you see them, they're cast out. Now Cain and Abel come, right? You guys remember reading the story of Cain and Abel? Uh, Cain kills Abel because of jealousy. He decides to gain control, to gain power, to gain whatever he wants through violence. That's his thing. And so he does that. And then Cain's sent out, like Adam and Eve, he's sent out. Um, but then God gives him grace as well, right? He said, Cain's like, dude, I'm going to die. Like, these people are going to kill me because they know I'm a bad guy. He says, no, if anyone kills you, then they will be, you will be avenged sevenfold. So he puts a special mark on him. Then next in the story, if you're flipping through, uh, we're in Genesis 4 now, we get to Lamech. Who remembers reading about Lamech? No one. Come on. Uh, we don't, I don't raise my hand in service, David. I don't do that. Okay, that's fine. So we read about Lamech. Uh, there's two different Lamechs. Don't get them confused. But regardless, this Lamech, it says he has multiple wives. And so he's mentioned this genealogy. And he says this really interesting thing. Genesis 4, 23 through 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventyfold. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that, but that's the, that's the heart here. We just read these things. It's, oh, it's a boring genealogy. But then we get this moment. It's like, wait a minute. What's happening to God's created order? What's happening to these people that were created for good? Does that sound like good? Does that sound like worshiping the Lord? That sounds like someone who says, I'm going to have all the women, and I'm going to kill whoever messes with me because I have all the power. If God can put this curse on Cain, I can, or this, uh, this uh, avenging, I can avenge myself above that because I have the power through violence. More violence we see. Genesis 6, if you flip there, super weird verses. Um, sons of God are getting with daughters of man. We can talk, so, man, if I had time, this is one of those things where I was like, 
you can't preach about that. You just move on. There's too much there. I studied this so much this week. It's incredible. The Hebrew here and all the things going on, it's incredible. Basically, we have a cosmic fall, and there's all sorts of ripples through there. Some people will tell you that this might actually be humans. That doesn't line up in Greek. Sons of God everywhere in Bible in this tense are used to refer to things like the divine council, celestial beings. If you disagree with that, that's fine. It's a minute point. We could deal with it another time. But the point here is that in the narrative Genesis, now we have a cosmic fall, right? We've got humans falling, creating disorder. But now we've got these spiritual beings that are choosing to go against God's order as well. There's a fall here that's happening. It doesn't matter quite where it matches in the timeline. Don't get caught up on that, right? Because that's, Genesis isn't trying to give us this perfect timeline. In fact, you see, Genesis 2 explaining things from Genesis 1 slightly differently. You see Genesis 11 explaining things that were just said in Genesis 10. That's storytelling, right? And so there's this fall that happens because the sons of God are getting with the daughters of men. We posted a video on Facebook about it. You can watch it. Super interesting stuff. But this happens, and they're called mighty men of old. Gabor, that's where the Nephilim come from. This phrase, mighty men, is a war phrase. It's a violence phrase. It is a, they have conquest, they have power. There's a hint of violence here. Not always. Sometimes the word is actually used for God, but it's still talking about conquest, and you don't conquest without war. And so there's this idea that these mighty men are creating more violence, more pain, right? Then we get to Genesis 6, 5, and 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of his thoughts and his hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. God's heart grieved. Take that in. God created us for his glory, to have a right relationship with him, to live with him forever, to create good things, to enjoy the things he's given us, and now he's grieved because all we see in the story so far is violence, wickedness, pain, every intention of their heart was for evil continually. So then we get Noah. But Noah, right? Noah found favor in the eyes of God, says he's a righteous man, and God sends a flood. He sends flood waters to cleanse the earth from the blood, the violence, the wickedness. Stop. Noah is three chapters, two or three chapters, two and a half, right? We aren't going to talk a ton about that right now, right? Uh, because there's somewhere else we got to get to. We got to get to Babel. But I need you to know something. If you're watching from home, if you're seeing them, Noah's story creates a lot of questions, and you can argue all day long about localized flood, worldwide flood, timing, waters above and below the earth, did that create a timeline difference, what about the 120 years, all these questions you can ask about it. Here's what I want to tell you, church. If Noah is your stumbling block, if you've read this story and you're like, I'm out, sounds stupid, what a mean God, then let's talk, because we're not reading the Bible to make you feel comfortable, we're reading the Bible to understand God. And now, if you, if you want to stop halfway through the story, there's a lot of places in Lord of the Rings I could turn off, and my kids would say, this story stinks, and I would rob my kids of one of the best stories ever written, aside from the gospel. And so we watch slowly the whole thing. Don't judge me. We're watching it in small parts. We're explaining it. I know there's violence and stuff, but, you know, Lord of the Rings. So, anyway, so as we're going through that, they need to see the whole story. Right now, my son doesn't like it as much as The Hobbit, because he doesn't know. He doesn't understand. But when we get to the end of Return of the King, ooh, for Frodo. Oh, right, oh it's going to be so great. And so we're getting there. But anyway, if you stop in Noah, if you're lost here, man, let's talk about it. And I just felt led to give that aside. There are so many questions in Noah, just like in Job, that we can talk and wrestle with. But please look to God. Please look to this consistent pattern we're seeing God. God has created us to be a humanity with him, to give him glory, to do things in his bounds. And we have chosen violence and corruption to do our own thing, to break apart from him. And Noah tells how God is pulling out more people. God is intervening. Does God wipe away everyone? No. God brings Noah, whose name means rest. Lots of interesting things in that. I don't have time to unpack that. Sorry I even mentioned it. But... If you're struggling with Noah, let's talk. But afterwards, Noah, he lands on uh, a mountain, right? Interesting stuff about Hebrew and the mountain he lands on. More on that another time. But then he decides to plant a vineyard. (laughs) Interesting Eden sort of connection here. Up on a mountain, New Eden, right? As he plants a vineyard. And then he decides to get drunk in his tent. And the way this is mentioned in Hebrew is like, this is not, this is not okay. 
Not okay, buddy. Uh, getting drunk in his tent, choosing his own path, choosing what's right and wrong. Uh, we don't have a place in Scripture that says don't drink alcohol. This must mean don't drink alcohol. No, that's not what Scripture's saying. Clearly the point here is that Noah is doing something outside, and he's naked. He's lying naked. His son Ham comes in and sees his father naked, looks upon him. We don't know exactly what this means in Hebrew, but clearly based off the uh, seed curse that happens to Ham, there's something perverse that happens here, right? And you can unpack that however you want, but Scripture doesn't tell us because the main point is that Ham bad. Ham did something that was inappropriate with his dad, and then his other sons, Shem and Japheth, they come in, and what do they do? They walk in backwards, and they cloak his nakedness. <gasps> do you hear it? God cloaked Adam and Eve. Covered their necks, sent them out. Ah, there's just these ripples here. And I'm not, not saying that uh, Shem and, and Japheth are God. I'm saying that there's this image of God being upheld here. There's something happening here. These stories connect, right? And so they cover his nakedness, and uh, there's this big tension there of the curse that goes out, and, and what all is going on there. Got lost, sorry. So Jim, uh, Jim Sha- uh, then we get to uh, Genesis 10. This is where we're going to land for a minute. Open your Bibles, Genesis 10. How many people, be honest, <clears throat> how many people read this and was like, man, this is one of those places that just has all these names and I would never want to read this out loud in Sunday school and this is just like genealogy junk. Thank you, those of you who are honest. Thank you. I saw some of you kind of quickly shoot. I saw you. That's okay. I know. Listen, I studied Genesis 10 longer than most things I've studied this week uh, because there is so much here. There is, I mean... Everything that's in the rest of the Bible is mentioned here. All the nations, all the people, it all starts here. There's something that God's doing through the way he orchestrated it. There's so much nerdiness here, but I'm going to fly over it. We're going to go really quick, and we're going to do it in two slides. Here's the first one, Genesis 10, Table of Nations. There are 70 total people mentioned. 70 is a combination of two numbers, right? What times what equals 70, children? Seven times 10. God spoke how many times? 10. And he said, how many things were good? Seven. These numbers are significant. Does that mean there are literally only 70 people on the earth? Only 70 generations? Only 70 tribes? No! That's not the point. The point is there's a wholeness here that the author wants you to understand that these people that are mentioned, these are the main players. These are things that are going on and they have some sort of unity already together. God said be fruitful and multiply, right? Has humanity been fruitful and multiply? Maybe they've been killing each other, being very violent. They clearly haven't been fruitful and multiplying in the way God intended them to. And here they have a common unity seen in this number 70, right? Some of you are just, that's so boring. I know, my wife thought it was boring too, but I wanted you to know, so now you get to know. 70's here. There's 26 descendants. Go back, we've got to read it. 26, 30, 14, you do the math. Carry on. Now, if you go back and read through this, I want you to just... Those of you who are Bible people, you've read the Bible. If you haven't read the Bible, that's fine. Just think about big powers, big history thingies. What do you mention? Nimrod, we'll come back to Nimrod, right? Nimrod is mentioned pretty quickly, and he's said to be uh, Cush Father Nimrod, uh, 10, 8, and 9. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Men of Gabor, Nephilim, same word used here, Gabor, right? He was a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Right? That's what cool hunters do. You have to make that noise for a shooter. Right? Any hunters? Is that just me? Okay, fine. Anyway, the word hunter, it's not like you're thinking. This hunter is an idea still of war, of violence, of power. So there is some understanding here of he went out and he killed animals and he slayed animals. He was a hunter. He was also a mighty man of war, a violent man. So much so that people, when something happened, they'd say, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, right? You shoot that elk at 80 yards, like Nimrod I am. You go and you conquest and destroy a whole bunch of people, like Nimrod we are, right? More on Nimrod here in a little bit. But, so Nimrod's mentioned, but then after that, look at all these places mentioned. From Ham, by the way, who was cursed by Noah, you have Babel, Babylon, there's connections there, it's a longer story. Canaan, you remember going through Judges, Joshua and Judges, Canaan, that's like Assyria, giant power, Nineveh. Remember the story of Nineveh? Jonah, we talked about Jonah here. Egypt, come on. You see what's going on here? Come on, what happens with Egypt? Okay, thank you, 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 you get there. Sodom and Gomorrah, you remember that place? Even in common, like, regular human tongue, like, oh, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? These words, sodomy, right? These things connect to negative things. Why? Because the Bible's trying to tell us, look, look where humanity's going. This is humanity so far in the Bible. You might have skimmed over it, but the author's trying to say something. Everything's messed up. 
It's so messed up. And all these things you're going to read, it comes back to this mess. You want to know about Babylon, Assyria, all these things? It comes back to this mess of people not following God. People not looking to the Lord. You did this. You did this by deciding that you wanted to be powerful. Now, I think it's fascinating that you read all these powers and all these powers have come and gone. And yet we want so badly to still gain power, to still have violence be our main authority of control, of power, of possession. But all these great nations come and went. Where is your power? What's so important about you? What you think so important? Don't, don't get me wrong here, but it's worth mentioning. How, how much do you overemphasize what you think is great as a nation, as a world? What is good? The only thing that's good is the Lord. And so if we're measuring our nation, your family, your life based off the Lord, you might as well just put your name up here, your nation, your family, your heritage up on the same list because all these things come and go. Now, now we get to Genesis 11. Let's uh, look where we've gone so far. world is full of violence, corruption. All these powers. Listen, it's so important to mention these names because you know Egypt's a big power in history. Babylon's a big power. Assyria's a big power. Nineveh is a terrifying city no one wants to be a part of, right? You know these things. And then this is what's being mentioned. Is this is where the world's at right now. All these people are coming from this and they're growing into these things. Are people being fruitful and multiplying as God intended? Remember, God created us for His glory. He generously gave to us the world to rule with Him, to make good things for His glory. And that's where we find joy, is when we're living for His glory. He is what is good. And then the story so far in Genesis, like things are getting worse and worse and worse. In some respects, the reason I chose to land on the Tower of Babel this morning is because when I first read the story, I was frustrated by it. And, and maybe you've read the Tower of Babel a lot. You've read it in kids' books, or maybe you're a children's church teacher, and you've taught it more times than I've been alive, which is fine. I'm looking at some of you. I know. Okay, I'm young. But here's what happens, right? Then, Or you're old. Uh, so uh, here's what's happened. When you read the Tower of Babel, one of the ways you could read it is, man, these people are progressing. They're trying to build cities. They've got a brick, right? We'll get there in a minute. And God just stops it. And I thought God wants them to be fruitful and multiply. I thought they're supposed to grow. At face value, some of these things sound like pretty good things. Like, I mean, even historically, it's interesting that Babylon got founded, Egypt, Assyria, these big places. That seems still like great historical progress. It looks like great progress, but it's ultimately fake and passing. In some ways, you could see this growth and dispersion is good. But in all these stories... When is it mentioned that any of these people, any of these places are worshiping the Lord? When does God become the main source for all these people? It's actually God who's intervening, who's trying to turn, who's trying to guide people back. But very few characters are mentioned. And I think there's, I think there's a message for us in that. When we think back in these stories, we read them as like these kids' stories or these baffling stories that try to give us the date of the earth. And just, hold on, let's just take a minute and say, what do these stories say about how we worship God, about who God is. Do we believe that God has authority over all these people, over all these things? Do we believe God's given us a unity in Him? We're going to Bible nerd just for a moment. Uh, I think it's really interesting that between Adam and Noah, there are ten generations mentioned. Between Noah and Abraham, do you know how many generations are mentioned? Ten. And then later on in Ruth, when Ruth talks about from Abraham to King David, do you know how many, she mentions 10. How many times does God speak? 10. Dude, is it literally only 10 generations? I don't know. But the point of the story is that if you're reading it and you're seeing that God speaks 10 times, although this corruption is happening, God is still intervening. God is still speaking. I find that really fascinating. Things look like growth and success, but ultimately, these powerful nations full of violence... It's really nothing. In fact, we're going to come back to Nimrod for an example on that. And we need to have a light note. We've been, this has kind of been heavy for a minute. Let's have a quick light note, right? How, who's familiar with the term Nimrod? Yeah. So just thumbs up or thumbs down. If someone said, okay, Nimrod, is that, are you supposed to take that as like, thank you. He was a mighty hunter. No, you're supposed to take that. Yeah. Do you want to be called Nimrod? Do you want your kids to call people Nimrod, right? Do you know 
Anyone happen to know how the word Nimrod became a mighty hunter, world-powerful Bible person to a negative Western slang? Anyone know how that happened? This guy. You think I'm kidding? So uh, who's this guy? Yeah, and then who's hunting him? Elmer Fudd. You know what Bugs Bunny calls Elmer Fudd? Nimrod. You know why? Because Nimrod was a mighty hunter, right? Is Elmer Fudd a mighty hunter? No, he's terrible at it. Like, I hunt, I know. My authority is I've killed a lot of animals, right? Nimrod, or I mean, uh, Elmer Fudd, same guy. Uh, Elmer Fudd is terrible at hunting. And I think it's so interesting. Don't, don't miss the irony of the strangers here. Nimrod in the Bible was a mighty man. He, Gilboa, he was a mighty, powerful warrior. And nowadays, his name is associated with a chubby hunter who can't do anything helpful at all. A cartoon character, a joke. The creatures that are supposed to be hunting him are smarter than him. Ah, talk about making a name for yourself and it being meaningless. This is the story we're at. All these names, Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, Nimrod. Interesting. I think that's interesting. I, I couldn't get past that. Tower of Babel. Let's read it. Here we go. Genesis chapter 11. This is right after 10 where it talks about the 70, all the nations are there, and they're all unified. They 10. God speaks 10 times and 7. 10 times 7, 70. Genesis 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same woods. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. That's how you make bricks, right? New technology. And they had brick for stone and bitum for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top, its head is the Hebrew word there, in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we become less powerful, lest we become weaker. We will come together as one. It's, man, we go nuts. Uh, nope, keep reading the story, David. Don't get excited. So, uh, name for us, lest we be exposed. And then... The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speeches. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, the name was Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. There's so much here in the Hebrew about Babel and Babylon and the letters B and L and, and the, the term brick and uh, being able to reword the letters as rebel and all these things. But aside from all the super Bible geeky things that we don't have time to care too much about, in general, I think this story is so fascinating, this human idea of growth and power. Just read it as a modern-day Westerner. Do you want to see... I mean, do you think it's really interesting when we watch historical videos of people building great towers and doing great, powerful things? It's super fascinating. My dad used to watch the History Channel all the time, and I just remember watching like how they blew up rocks in really intricate ways to get Mount Rushmore, right? And how, uh, how they built uh, all these different towers in New York. And they, they, made, they literally moved uh, the, several buildings in New York once. Like They lifted them up and moved them while the people were living there. And we said, man, these modern men did... Cra and that was like in the 50s. When people were like not even as brilliant as we are now, millennials, right? Come on. No, seriously. We get this idea that people older than us, right? They did things silly and now we've got this technology. But man, these people, they were building these huge cities. Right? In these early days, they were building these huge monuments, these wonderful things like pyramids. And here, God doesn't seem to think that's great. And so you can read that and you think, what, what's the problem here? Why, why not? Like, key is in verse 4. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, with its head in the heavens, right? There's a similar vision uh, Nebuchadnezzar has in, in Daniel where he sees, and he sees this, this uh, tower, this, this idol, this, this leader that has its head in the heavens, and he's going to rule over all the nations, and it's also mentioned the same place. The only other time Shinar is mentioned, this is for free, it's not in my notes, but the only other time Shinar is mentioned in the Bible is in this vision, right? And this king says he's going to rule over everyone, and its head will be in the heavens. The idea is that you're supposed to picture them building a big monument to humanity. The head is in the heavens. But God created man in 
his image. And man is building this city with its head for themselves. A make a name for ourselves. Nimrod. Right? Ah, you start seeing the connections here. So beautiful. So they're doing this. They say, we're going to build a name for ourselves. Did God create us to build the name for ourselves? No, all things are for his glory. So look at this. The next verse. The Lord does what? Where does he come from? He comes down. There's a, there's a satire here. It's kind of funny. So they're building this giant tower, and the Lord says, okay. Well, he comes down because, silly, you, you guys can't. You, you got nothing. I'm going to have to stoop to your level. The Lord comes down, and you read this on the one hand. This is why I chose this. It's frustrating. God, why are you doing this? Why are you making this, this weird babble thing going on? Because God has authority over them. And so whether this story is somehow connected to Babylon and later on they think about, hey, our God can just simply confuse their language. He's above Babylon, right? There's some of that there. But more importantly, they're trying to make a name for themselves. And this comes back to the same thing we preach here over and over and over. God intervenes because if they continue in this path, there's nothing they can't do. Not nothing they can't do in the sense of they could cure cancer. They could, they could fly. Like, no, no, no. So far, humans' trend is violence and pain and death. And God says, I love you enough. I have grace enough for you that I've got to stop that. The readers of this story would see God intervening. And if you're bored and you've missed it, hear this point. Go back and skim these stories, Genesis 1 through 11. The humans, they break God's design. They break God's pattern over and over and over. And God intercedes to constantly be pointing them back to his pattern, to look to him. That's what God does. The Lord speaks. Do they end up making a name for themselves? I mean, we're reading it today. We're talking about it, right? But are we reading it? It's kind of like Nimrod, which I think is such an interesting analogy. Man, I can't get over the irony of that, right? Nimrod. Yeah, you get Nimrod. Same idea. Nimrod. Babel. This isn't the great city of Babel. This is a foolish city of idiots who didn't follow God, right? Interesting. The name for themselves isn't powerful. And then right after that, spoiler alert for where we're going after we get done with Job, Genesis 12, you know how it starts off? God chooses Abraham. And what does he say? I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. Abraham doesn't do it. God does it. And the reason that gets me emotional is because so many of us here are caught in this pattern of needing our name to be great, needing our family to be great, needing our nation to be great, needing our, it's literally a slogan. Stop. God is great. God is what makes things great. Please evaluate your life by goodness, by greatness, by looking to the Lord. That's what we're going to preach every single week. God is calling a humanity to himself in which his name is made great and they enjoy the life of him. We've got a whole video. We're not going to play it this morning. We'll play it later on in the week. You can watch it on Facebook. But God created us in his image to be with him, to live as he created us to live, to live into his boundaries. But we said, no, we want our name to be great. And you intuitively know this is a silly idea because even in the secular world, people who are super selfish and live only for themselves, right? We talk a lot about this during Christmas time. There's tons of Hallmark movies written about it. Those people are known as Scrooges and the bad guys because they're selfish, right? And we look down on them. From the Bible, they would say the reason that's wrong is because God created us to live with him because he's the source of goodness. That we're not doing things for ourselves. We would live for his name, not for our own name. We read this last week, John 1, 1 through 4. We're in this darkness, Genesis 11. There's some light we see in Genesis 12. If you're reading Job, you're seeing darkness too. Here's John 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was the beginning, with God. All things were made through Him, and with Him was not anything made that, or was, uh, was, uh, was, not anything made, that was made. Verse 4. In Him was life. We're seeing death, violence, corruption over and over and over. But in Jesus is life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't overcome it. Jesus is the humanity that we're supposed to have. Jesus is our hope, our picture of humanity. And all through Scripture, you'll see, we keep saying it's one unified story that points to Jesus. All these stories in Genesis point us to the hope that we need something apart from ourselves. And then later on, we hear the, the kings and the prophets and everyone talk about how, hey, there's a Messiah. Someone has to come. We're not going to do it. Someone else has to come. And then John co comes in and says, hey, you remember Jesus? 
He was the light. He was the life. And as Jesus lived, he taught us to live through sacrifice, through loving God with everything we have, and through loving each other. When Jesus left, you can see it up there, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Why does he have all authority? Because Jesus took on Satan's sin and death when he died on the cross. All the ways you don't believe in him, all the towers that we try to erect to ourselves to say we're awesome, all the ways we separate from God to try to put everything on ourselves, to make a name for ourselves, Jesus took that on. He died on the cross for it. When he rose again from the dead, rose again, he's not dead. Jesus is risen from the dead, and he's alive, and he's enthroned. And when he rose from the dead, he defeated Satan, sin, and death, all this darkness. So he is the life. He is the light. And so all these ways, if you're hearing this, and you're like, man, okay, I get it. I am selfish. I want things to be about my own name. I want to do, but what do I do? What's my hope? There's only one name that saves us. There's only one name that brings us hope. It's Jesus Christ. All authority has been given me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even until the end of time. When Jesus ascends, he, he tells his disciples in Acts 1.8, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit falls upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all of Samaria, and even in to the ends of earth. Keep Tower of Babel in mind. Languages scattered, people scattered. Acts chapter 2 starts off this way. Jesus has ascended. He says, you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Spirit, pneuma, breath. You get it? You're so, it's your breath, right? Same idea. You shall receive power. You shall receive when the Spirit, when my breath comes on you and I dwell in you. Jesus taught this. You'll receive power. Now, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place. The disciples, all, all the believers, they were gathered. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm just going to go back and read. Hold on. There it was named called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. Hold on. Acts 2. They were filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Every nation's gathered here. Don't miss this. And at this sound, the multitude came together. All these people gathered because of the wind and the fire. There's something going on. What's going on? And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. What were they speaking? Jesus Christ. All these people, every nation, don't miss this. They were gathered together. They were unified. They all had different languages. They're all not coming together to one perfect ethnicity. No, 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 no. They all still have their, their, their uh, ethnical backgrounds. They have their, their national identities are there. But it all is subsequent. It's all set aside because they are hearing in their language the message of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God's Holy Spirit in power is speaking the same God who spoke ten generations, ten generations, ten generations, the same God who keeps intervening all through these dark stories, the same God who later says is Jesus. He's the life. He's the life. His spirit enters them, and now they can be unified. They're not scattered about because of their violence, their sin, their darkness. They're unified. Everyone go like this. This is an important image. All over the world, you see this. The reason you like social media, there's some small reasons, but you love the disunity, the drama, the tension. It makes us feel alive. Conflict makes us excited. Your favorite shows aren't boring. They're full of conflict. Every good story has conflict. Welcome to English class. We want the conflict. But we ultimately want the story of how things come back together. The only way things come back together is through Jesus Christ. He unifies us in His Spirit. These tribes are all coming together, being unified by the name of Jesus. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. When, when things are happening in, in, in the heavenly realms, he says, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb who's clothed in white, with palm branch in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne in the Lamb. So what? What do we do with this? 
Like, so, I mean, come on. Like, we just went through all this, and you see me getting really passionate about this. Maybe you're not there. You're like, okay, sweet. Talk fast. Start getting raspy voice. You're getting emotional. Neat. What, what's, it, what's the deal? So many of us are unified and fighting for things in our life that are just towers of Babel. That's not just neat preacher analogy. That's not just stupid preacher speak. We can go back to Nimrod stuff if you want. Here's the thing. Every week, I want to call you to the new humanity unified under Jesus Christ. When we say the Bible is one unified story that points to King Jesus, we're saying every one of these stories is going to be a thematic understanding of how we have chosen to make a name for ourselves, to go apart from God. And the thing is, what hurts me so much is I can watch the blank look on some of your faces because you don't care. And that's fine. But I'm not going to quit talking about it. And we're not going to quit praying about it. And we're not going to quit seeing lives change and the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ, regardless of whether you care. Because there's a God who speaks. And he's intervening. And even if you don't care this moment, someone does care. Because they're listening and obeying. They're trusting and obeying. And I don't mean to be this hard and this dark on you. But here's the thing. There's so much disunity and chaos and disorder. But the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. The same Spirit that created order from the disunity and chaos from the beginning is continuing to unify us through Jesus Christ. Christ because his breath is in our lungs. When we believe in Jesus Christ, his spirit enters us, he makes us new, and then we're all one body. And this is the New Testament. Paul continues these analogies over and over and over. New body, new creation, new uh, one body, one faith, one baptism. Are we building meaningless towers in life of our family, of our personal gain, of our job, of our social security, of our savings? Are we building all these towers for our name's sake? Or do you see that everything comes back to a king and kingdom? Please sit before a blank piece of paper with a writing utensil this week and just ask God, Lord, what areas of my life don't point to you as my king and your kingdom? Let him reveal these things to you. Don't let me get all excited and push you on it. There's things here. This is the struggle. Because you're no different than these pagan idiots from the early Bible. We're all the same. We all want to be like God. We all want to know good from evil for ourselves. Look to Jesus. There's one name that unifies. He has unified us through His Spirit. This is His church. This is why we sing, I believe in the saints' communion and your holy church. This is it. Look around. Look at each other. I can see whether or not you're doing it. Don't make me manipulate you to look around. Do you see the people in this room? If, if anyone sitting around you is in Christ, they have the power of Christ in them. They have the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. And you guys are intimately woven together as one humanity through King Jesus for his glory. This is why we gather. Because we struggle with this. We don't need each other. I can do my own thing. I got my job, my family, my life, my personal decisions. It's not. We need each other. This is the church. And Paul will go over and over this. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 6, Colossians 12. You want to write those down? I'll say them slower. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 6. Some of you wish I would preach this slow, but you know we'd be here for three hours. Colossians 12. All these places. It's the whole New Testament. Paul wants you to know you have a new humanity in Christ. You're not scattered about for your name's sake. You're unified in King Jesus. One body, one faith, one baptism. This is why he pushes a church. We come together. Why? To worship, connect, grow, go. We're doing these things as one body. What do you do with this? I could hit this home over and over and over, but what do you do with this information? Later on in this sermon, Acts 2, after the Spirit moves and they all start hearing in their own language, Peter gives a sermon. He preaches the gospel. And then after he preaches the gospel, he tells the same story I'm telling of how he, from the beginning Jesus was there and Jesus was the one who you crucified. He's the one, that, that he's the only one you can say. Then they say, they're cut to heart and they say, what do we do? And so as we ask this morning, what do I do? I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at in your faith. If you're a 40% person, a 30, you know, say we talked about early this morning. Maybe this is all just like, you're just tired and want to go home. Maybe your wife's been sick all week too and you're exhausted. Like who knows where you're at. But here's the thing. When, when they say to Peter, what do we do with all this gospel information? Peter says this. Read these words. I'm going to read them slowly on the screen. Let them sink in. Acts 2, 37 through 39. Now when they heard this, the gospel, they were cut to heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Change your mind. Look differently. Look to the Lord. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of 
Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. God is calling you to himself this morning. Whether you're watching from home, whether you're sitting here, whether you've been a Christian forever and you're the holiest person in the room, forget about it. God is calling all of you to him because it's not about your name for yourself. I don't care how much you read the Bible. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care if you know all the Greek and Hebrew words. God is calling you to him all authority and he's above you and this promise is for you repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the holy spirit maybe you've never done that this is your time right now we're going to move into a moment of response we're going to stand and we're going to sing we're going to worship god maybe you need to come and say man i've never given my life to christ i've never been baptized maybe you're watching from home and you need to boldly type out i need to be baptized i need to give my life to christ wherever you're at This is your moment. Thank God that he intervenes, that the same God who spoke 10 things into existence that said they were good, the same God who spoke into these generations, God is speaking right now. He's saying, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Church, if you believe all this, then I would call you back to this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Acts 1, 8. You will be his witnesses. Where are you being his witness? If you believe in the gospel, your only option is to go and make disciples of all nations because all of them are here now. They're unified in Christ Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things Christ can you. If you're a Christian in this room and you can't answer these two questions, who are you discipling and who disciples you? If you can't answer those questions with a name, then maybe your response this morning is to open up to God and say, God, how can I be obedient to you to make disciples in the name of King Jesus? As we stand and worship, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. Stop looking at your own efforts. Stop looking at your own towers. Every week, we just want to call you to look to Jesus. May his spirit convict. May his spirit guide how you need to respond. Let's stand and sing. We'll pray. God, I pray that you would guide us as we respond. May we continue to see you speak. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. May your spirit speak in power and may we see lives change. See your kingdom come and your will be done through stories of redemption, through people's lives change. God, we open our hands to you. And I don't, I don't even know all the words to pray this morning, God. I just know that you speak. Your spirit is with us. And if we believe we have your spirit in us, God, I pray that as a church we would continue to see you moving. See every tribe, tongue, and nation declare All glory be to Christ. Guide us as we respond and worship to you, Father.